Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. This week we're wrapping up a series, I'm getting over it. We're looking at baggage, things that happened in the past that follow us into the future, that maybe we don't want to. Uh, things that weigh us down, keep us from moving forward. Um, if you've ever moved, maybe you've known that box that's just full of junk, and it just seems to always be full of junk, and it, it's like, why am we hanging on to this thing? Like, I haven't opened it in four years. Do I think I'm going to use it now, you know? And so that's true for us with our lives as well, that things happen in the past, and they become seeds of bitterness or fear or anxiety into the future, and it's better off getting over it, leaving in the past by God's strength. And so we have been looking at just four areas, and I bet you you could think of some other ones as well, uh, but four critical areas that have a particular ability to get in the way of our future. Um, We've been looking at bitterness and pride and fear. If you've missed any of those, they're all on the app and the website as well. Today we're looking at a, um, a, a new one that's in the Bible. It's what the Bible calls envy, envy. And it will manifest itself in lots of different ways in our lives. Sometimes maybe we'll call it jealousy. Maybe sometimes we'll get angry because we're envious about something. Maybe we'll gossip about something. You know, how can our pastor look so good? I mean, look at him. I can't believe it. I actually get that a lot, you know. It happens quite a while. You know, but if we look, if we look though at, at, it can show up in a lot of different kinds of ways, but if you look at these symptoms and then, track it back to its source, there's an issue that the Bible would address, and it's this issue of bitter envy, selfish ambition it causes, it's its cousin. And the Bible would say, hey, if you're not tracking that, if you're not getting over that, it has a a power to be really destructive in our lives. It's a piece of baggage. It poisons our hearts. Envy kinds of twists and distorts our perception of things, how we process it, so that we don't even end up seeing the good things that are right in front of us. And it ends up robbing us of our joy. It steals from us. It never enriches us. It only ever takes from us. So it will, it will look like this maybe inside of us. You know, it messes with your relationships. Because envy, think about it, it's uniquely relational. It involves someone else. You're never envious of you know, something that's not a person. So it always has to do with another person or a group of people. It can soil those relationships. And, and it's, also, it's also gonna affect our relationship with God because it actually points to some really critical and key ways that we understand him and that we interact with him as well. You know, sometimes in our lives, we have things that we would consider to be like blow-off sins. Everybody has it. It's not a big deal. You know, things like, you know, maybe, maybe gossip, uh, you know, it's kind of like that. Maybe how we treat our bodies is kind of one of those things. Like, maybe I shouldn't eat that third Big Mac. Uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't have that third Whopper, even though I got a coupon for tonight after church and I get it all for $12.99. Maybe I shouldn't do that. You know, we kind of treat it like a throwaway thing. And envy is, is kind of like that too. Sure, everyone's jealous of someone every once in a while. Everyone is, is like that. They always, you know, it, it's, it's, not, it's not like it's a big deal. It's not like it's adultery. It's not like it's murder. You know, I didn't steal something. So we treat it like it's a blow-off sin. 
When you look at the Bible, when you see how God actually deals with envy, it's actually kind of shocking how strong the language is when he deals with bitter envy, how straightforward he is about it. And so I just want to show, I want to show you that. So if you have your Bibles, and we, we stowed some, kind of had all these little stations around the room, um, I encourage you to have like a hard copy Bible because when you have a hard copy Bible, you're not getting pinged with notifications that will pull your attention somewhere else. Right, so we have these Bibles. If you don't have one, it's our gift to you. In fact, we're having to order. We've given so many away that we need to order a couple more cases of them. It's cool. Um, so make sure you have a Bible. It's our gift to you. It's also available on the app, too. Um, but let's look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. This is what it says. It says, But if you harbor bitter envy... In selfish ambition in your hearts. That word harbor is actually really interesting. It's this idea, you know, I, I know it's in my heart, but I might, I might blow it off. Um, and so I just don't, I don't deal with it necessarily, but it's in there. Right? It's in there. And I, I harbor that. I let it dock. I give it real estate. It has a certain purchase in my heart. And sometimes... Sometimes that's going to look like this, like you are willfully holding on to envy with someone else. You are actively grinding away about something like that. That might happen, like where you take action. But there's going to be other cases where it's just passively in there. It's there, and it's like, I kind of know it's there, but I'm not really doing anything about it, so it's just, it's just kind of passively hanging out there. He says, if you harbor, if you let it dock, if you let bitter envy dock, if you let selfish ambition dock in your hearts, he says, don't boast about it. Don't deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. And then the, here's the, so- the shocking language. Listen to what he says. But it's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. And, and you know, we might be like, well, I'm, I'm just a jealous cut type. That's just who I am. And we kind of blow it off. But James would say, hey, it's not a blow-off sin. And if it's something that's inside of you and you're harboring that, you're letting it have purchase of your heart, it's actually a big deal. He calls it earthly, unspiritual, demonic And why? Why does God make such a big deal about it? And this is that next verse. It says this. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So the apostle James, he was Jesus' brother. He wrote this down. Now, I've told you this before. I think I think the Apostle James is probably one of the greatest apologetics for Jesus being the Son of God, greater than anything else, because James went from like not really believing this. He wasn't convinced until he saw his brother resurrected from the dead, and then he was so convinced, and what would it take for you to believe your brother was the Son of God? He was so convinced that he then went around and told everyone that he was to the point where he died for it. And James says, hey, harboring it, harboring bitterness is a big, big deal. And if you do that, you got to know what's going to kick up in your heart and your mind 
those feelings that you have, they're not from God. They're not from him. That's not God spurring you on, you know, just live your best life now, just try harder, follow your dreams. When you see any of that stuff, that bitter envy, that selfish ambition, when you see that, it's demonic. It's going to lead you to terrible places. It's going to lead you to disorder, he says. So maybe the reason that your friendships keep falling apart is because of bitter envy. Maybe, maybe the, the reason there's this ongoing tension in your marriage you know, maybe it's not just this sibling rivalry, you know, but maybe it's this envy, this bitterness in your heart. And so your relationships, when you harbor it, they tend to be chaotic. It takes you to this place where these evil practices now start to come out of you. You're like, where did this come from, you know? And so when you let envy drive your life, it's only ever going to lead you to this place where, where it's going to be fed on and propagate sin in your life. And so all of a sudden, you're like throwing some elbows at work. You're pulling that person down. All of a sudden, you're like engaging with gossip. And you're like, oh, that's not normally who I am. Where's that, where's that coming from? When you, you, start, you start having issues and you start gossiping with people because, you know, I don't want her to be more popular than I am. And so I'm going to gossip about her. You'll start willfully retaining bitterness in your heart against others. It overflows out of you. It has to because what's inside comes out of what's inside of you. And the thing is, it's, it's only ever going to lead to those kinds of practices where like the worst parts of you come out. You ever notice that? Do you ever look back in your life and say like, where did that come from? I can't believe I acted that way. Why did I ever talk that way about this person at work? Where did that come from? The most unhealthy parts, the parts that you always regret, the part where you're like, I don't know what led me to that, and how I, how I, I hate that I did that. that. That's what envy leads to. And James says it's not a blow-off sin. It's not a little thing. In fact, he says it's a gateway sin. It's that thing that's going to produce inside of you lots of regret and the worst part of you and the most unhealthy part of you. And it's never going to give to you. It's never going to fill you with joy or happiness. It's only going to steal and destroy. Now, listen, we'll, we'll describe envy in lots of different ways, but whatever the case is, it's always it's something that's, that's happening in the heart. And when you see it, when you, when you see that emotion go off, it's like a flag on the field. Our radar should be pinging, and we would want to stop. For someone who would say, I'm following after Jesus, I want my life to be defined and directed by him, we would want to bring our hearts into the guidance and direction of how God would want us to be. And we would want him to define how our hearts react. So how do we understand what envy is? Well, here's just a couple definitions that, that we can maybe wrap our brains around here. Envy would sound like this. Envy, envy is resentful ill will. Resentful ill will towards someone because of a perceived advantage. Because of a perceived advantage. So we would look at them and we would say, hey, I wish that your, your life was my life. And I think that you have an advantage in this area. You have this 
thing about your life. I wish that that was mine. And because of that, I'm discontented with what my life is. And I'm going to have ill will towards that other person. And I'm kind of honked off. And I, what they have, I wish I had. And I wish that that was me. Because I'm perceiving that they have an advantage that I don't have. It may or may not be true. But I perceive that they have it. And then the Bible t- talks about selfish ambition. This is kind of how it would understand it. That it's a, like a seeking, a seeking to, to take that advantage for yourself or maybe for your own group in such a way that there's like this rivalry there. So I'm going to seek, I'm going to take action that that advantage would now be mine. I see your life, I wish it was mine, and now I'm going to work to see that as something that is mine. I'm going to accelerate myself, I'm going to throw the elbow, I'm going to have these evil practices so that I can have that advantage. And, And James says, hey, when that happens... It's a flag on the field. It's a flag on the field. That little yellow flag, pay attention. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. It's going to lead to disorder. See, envy sounds like this. You need to give me what you have in order for me to be happy. I can't be happy with with what I have. I have to have what you have. And then when you have something that I wanted and I don't have it, I feel ripped off about that. The reason that that you have the advantage is because it was stolen from me. You have nice things and nice relationships and you have opportunities and I didn't have opportunities. You have this great relationship and I don't have a great relationship. The only way you can be where you are is because you stole the advantage from me. And then if I had your perceived advantages, you know what? I would use them better than you. You know, if I had a million dollars, I wouldn't be a rich snob like you are. Really? Like, you've got a hundred bucks, but you're not sharing it with anybody. Are you sure? I don't think that's the case. You know, and and if, if I had that, excuse me, if you have it, I should have e- something of equal value. So if you're going to have a Tesla, we should all have Teslas. You're not allowed to have more than me. All I have is this stinking Santa Fe. I should have what you have. Envy says, look, I have a bitterness, a resentment because I perceive it. Selfish ambition is I'm going to take action on that. Now, as, as we think about these issues of baggage in the past, it's not hard for any of us to recognize, like, I've got some seeds of pride in me. You know, there's some things I can be fearful about, you know, like, I, yeah, I worry about stuff. Envy is hard to spot in yourself because no one wants to admit that they're envious, do they? So we, we kind of treat it like a, a blow-off sin because when we think about envy, we think about all these shallow parts of what envy might look like, kind of like this junior high-ish stuff. You know, her hair is so pretty. I wish her eye would have her like, he's such a great athlete. You know, I wish I could be like that. And most of us, most of us think this. We think, you know, I'm mature enough. I don't need to have a car like they have a car or their house the way that they have and we would be like, come on, I'm not that immature. I'm, I'm a mature person. I've moved on past those kinds of things because I'm contented in myself. So I don't really pay attention to envy. I don't really struggle with it. 
Because most of us, that's probably true. You know what? We don't spend our time comparing cars in the parking lot. We just don't get tripped over that. So it doesn't really show up in those shallow ways. But where envy really shows up are some of these deeper things in our lives. You can drive what you want to drive. I don't really care, but man, your marriage, your marriage is happy and healthy and sexy and mine stinks. And your wife is really into you and that's great and everything, but I'm married to a (laughs) she-devil. Why is that the case? And when I, when I lay in bed at night, you know, I'm not, it's not like a lustful thing, but I'm just really thinking, like, I wish I had a different marriage than I had, and your marriage is nicer than mine, and why is that? You know, I'm 41 years old, and my life should be here, and, and yours is here, and we both dreamed at the same time, but you're in the C-suite, and I'm sitting here in middle management, and I wanted my life to take this path, but yours actually did, and so it's kind of deep down inside, I don't really confess that. I don't bring it up, but I wish my life ended differently. You know, we were both single together, and we dreamed about that time where we would meet that person, and you met that person, and I didn't meet that person, and you're off getting married, and I don't even know if I'm going to go to the wedding, you know? She's changed so much since she met him. Of course, you know, she's getting married, right? Can't really rejoice with her. You know, I I wanted to have another baby, and I'm having trouble with it, and you look at each other and get pregnant. You know, why is that? You know, your Facebook feed looks remarkably different from my Facebook feed. You're out vacationing in the Caribbean, sipping from coconuts, and I can't seem to make my business stable enough. We're just struggling to get ahead, and I'm here every weekend. We can't get away. So I'm kind of struggling with that. You know, I look at my life and I want something different and, and I look at what's happening with your kids and, and, and they, they get to be a part of that school because you knew the president of the school, you know, and, and you knew the coach so that they're able to start and I just wish my kid could throw the ball across the field at all. And, you know, so it's not, it's not always going to show up in the parking lot. It's not always going to show up in those junior high-ish ways, but it's going to show up in these deeper issues of the heart. And James is like, you're right. You got to pay attention to that. It's dangerous stuff. It's dangerous stuff to say, I, I long that your life would be my life because what's happening to you, I wish it would happen to me. And what's happening to me drives me crazy. And I just I wonder if God made a mistake. So it creates all sorts of destructive things inside of us. Proverbs 14.30 says this. We looked at this a couple, about a month or two ago. It says, a heart at peace a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy, when it's down in there, it rots the bones. It's just this slow decay over time, rots away at us. It gets inside us. It tears us down, tears down our relationships with other people. It tears down our relationship with God. James says, pay attention. Pay attention. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. He says, it's earthly. What does that mean? It says it's coming from the short-sighted view of your life's investment. He says when you struggle with envy, you need to understand that it's coming from an earthly mindset. An earthly mindset says this, man, I've only got one life, so I've got to win. It's got to be a winning season. This is all I've got, so I've got to get ahead. A heavenly mindset says this life is but a vapor. 
It's just a moment. We have a span of eternity. And I'm not going to play for the short game. I'm not going to play for the vapor. I'm going to play for eternity. We were created for a purpose, heaven would tell us, that we were created for a purpose to do, God's, uh, to do good works, which God created in us to do. Before time began, he had ordained that we would live that out for his glory's sake. That's what a heavenly mindset says. So when I say, you know what, I got to win, I got to be the captain of the team, I got to succeed, I got to go, my kids got to go to state, we got to be at the top, James would say, hey, that's, that's an earthly mindset, and it's going to lead to disorder and to every evil practice. He goes on, he calls it unspiritual. Unspiritual envy comes from a, a life void of Christ's definition for my life. So I'm making decisions that don't include Christ at all. I'm not even gauging that. I'm not even asking. I'm not even considering what does God want to do in my life. He says it's demonic. It's demonic. You know, it's fascinating that Old Testament authors actually record for us how Satan came to be the devil and where all that came from. When we think of the devil, you think of the little, like the little red dude and on the shoulder, little horns and a pitchfork and a tail and all that stuff, right? But he's actually known, the devil's known as Satan. His other name was Lucifer. And he was actually an angel of light, beautiful, radiant. He was the greatest of all of God's angels. But inside him was pride and this envy that built up and he was envious of God's glory that he was getting. So he set himself up and rebelled against God. Isaiah 14, verse 13, records this. It says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Now, it's interesting. Sometimes in Scripture, the stars of God often referred to the heavenly created spiritual beings like the cherubim and seraphim and the mighty creatures around the throne, other than the angels that we think of, there's all of these other things. So the stars of God, he's saying, I'm going to be higher than every other spiritual being. I am the stuff. It's about me. He says, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. Listen, when we find ourselves having language that says, I, 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 myself, me, I think, I should have when it's even inside our heart, he would call that, that's, that's, that's not from God, right? He would say this is reminiscent of the way that Satan thinks. And it rots the bones, it gets inside of you, it tears you apart, it causes disorder, it's a gateway sin, it becomes this barrier to your interaction with God. It robs you of contentment, of gratitude, of joy, of peace. Not only does it do that, it leaves you hungry. It's never going to satisfy. It can't do it. And James would say it's not a blow-off thing. It's actually a gateway sin. And even if you're mature enough not to look at your neighbor's house and think that it was, wish that it was yours, do you embrace the life that God gave you? Or do you resent him for it? Do you resent that your life isn't that way? Envy's not a blow-off thing. It's a huge deal. So what do we do with it? What do we do with that? How do we make a course correction? I've been thinking about that this week, considering, you know, what does God's word have to tell us about 
envy and bitter envy and selfish ambition and kind of that seed of where that comes from inside us. And so I just want to maybe have you consider two words this weekend. And they have to do um, kind of as we, we understand what it means to live out our lives amongst God and amongst other people. Now, someone came to Jesus and said, how do I do that? What does that look like? And he says, well, you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. So I just want to put it in that framework. And so the first word that I want to share with you is this. The first word is trust. Trust. Here's the foundation of it. When I'm envious and when I'm looking at my life, when I'm looking at someone else's life and looking at the discrepancy between those two, and I say, I wish that their life was my life. The core at that, the core of that is the ability to trust that God has my life where he wants it to be. And then when I say, hey, I don't want my life to be this way, and so I'm going to take the selfish ambition to throw the elbow, to gossip about the person, to kind of like, you know, like rejoice when they mess up, like all that kind of stuff. When I do that, what I'm saying is, God, I don't trust you to take care of me. God, I don't trust that you're powerful enough to deal with this desire inside of me. God, I I don't trust that you're able, and even if you were able, maybe I don't trust that you're good and that you ultimately love me. And so when someone else has what I want and I don't have it and I have that feeling inside, ultimately, foundationally, it's an issue about not what we believe, not only what we believe about ourselves, but what we believe about God. It's a, a belief issue. And what God's word tells us is that we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so when that thought comes out, when that feeling comes out, we say, no, I'm going I'm to stop right there. And I'm going to make that obedient to Christ. What do I know to be true about who God is? He spoke everything into being. Do you think he has a, 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 he'd have a hard time in in this particular area in my life? He split the seas. He made bread and manna fall down from heaven and care for the, the people of Israel. He raised Christ from the dead. Do you think he, you think he's freaked out by this and can't handle it? I need, to, I need to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Or, or maybe I, I'm having that challenge like, God, I, I, maybe you can do it, but I just don't trust that you're good enough. I don't trust that you, really, that you really love me. And so we have to put that, take that thought and take it captive. The Lord's steadfast love endures forever. He is always with me, Psalm 139 says. He never leaves me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I run from your presence? If I go to the far side of the sea, you're there, you're with me. Your right hand guides me and holds me fast. If I tried to run away from you, I can't, God. You are there with me in the middle, and you, you hold me in the palms of your hand. You capture every tear that falls. It's precious to you. Those aren't the words and the sounds of an angry, vengeful, spiteful God that just wants you to suffer. That's not who he is. We have to take those thoughts and make them captive. It's fundamentally an issue of our belief about God's provision and his love for us. It's why, that's why Solomon said this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. If you're going to memorize one verse in the Bible, this is it. 
says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Trust in him. God, God would say, don't trust your own understanding of what your life should be. Trust my understanding of what your life should be. See, Scott's understanding is this. If everyone would just do what I told them to do, you know what? If they would just go where I asked them to go, and when I asked them to go there, you know, God, if you would just bless my life the way that I want you to bless my life, then things would be better, and you would see how much I would be able to benefit your kingdom and how much potential we'd have, and I'd be able to realize all of that. God, you really, you really need to dial me in when you're making decisions. God, it's my understanding that matters. That's where envy comes in. When my understanding is played out in someone else's life, I'm envious. That's the life I should be living. God, make that happen for me. God, that would be the best thing in my life. But listen, God's math is different from our math. He would say, I've created you. Your days have been ordained. You've been created to do the good works Follow me, trust me, I'm accomplishing what's best for you. Even if you don't understand it, you need to trust in me. You know, it's fascinating, it's fascinating that in Scripture, spiritual reward is always found in spiritual trust, and it's never found in earthly gain. It's always found in spiritually trusting God. When, when I'm following after Jesus and when everything is wonderful and when my, I live in this beautiful home and I have upper middle class income, when I have a beautiful spouse and well-behaved children and Apple products and no cats and everyone says, and you follow after Jesus? And I say, yeah, I follow after Jesus. They would say, of course. Your life is perfect. Right? But when I'm, when I'm in God's math and he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kind. When he says, count yourself blessed that you get to suffer on my behalf. When, when, when you don't have the house that you want, when income is never enough, when your spouse doesn't love you back anymore, when your kids shake their fist at you when you own Android products and have a whole lot of cats, and then you're sitting there in misery, and someone's like, and you love Jesus? And you're like, yeah, I do. I do. I follow after him, and I know he loves me, no matter what. Listen, my pain is always a better platform for the gospel of Jesus Christ than my prosperity. And my faith is always more clearly displayed in my disadvantage than it is in my advantage. And God would say, listen, if you'll trust me, you'll make a bigger spiritual impact than you could ever do on your own. You'll be rewarded eternally, not just in this vapor of life right now. You'll have a heavenly reward. Trust me. When I choose to trust God with these places where I feel like, God, I just don't understand why it, it turned out this way. When I choose to do that, 
and I lean not on my own calculations, my own math about how it should be, it's, it's amazing how that diminishes uh, bitter envy. It's amazing how that dials back selfish ambition. Because here's what happens. God, you put me right here, right now. And you want me to run the race that you've put in front of me. Not the race that you've put in front of someone else. God, you've placed me in the neighborhood where I'm at because I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus. And that's something that no one else can do. I've got a race and a course set out in front of me that I need to run. It means that I'm not running someone else's life and I'm not measuring the success off of my life based off of them. I'm, I'm measuring the success of my life based off of how I trust and follow after God in faithfulness. That's what it does. It, it corrects our relationship with God. So that's our relationship with God. But there's this other area our, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. And so this is the second word. The second word is the word rejoice. Rejoice. That when something wonderful happens to someone else, I'm going to choose to rejoice. I'm going to make the cognitive decision to do that. Romans 12, 15 says this. We share it a lot around here. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It's what it means to do life. It's what it means to be in healthy relationships with other people when you do that. The Bible says, look, if you want to love your neighbor neighbor as yourself, if you want to have real relationships, if you want to have an intimate marriage, if you want to have healthy friendships, good ties with your parents or your children, with your siblings, there's, there's all of these ways that we interact with one another. One another's all over scripture. Love one another. Be patient with one another. There's 50 some out of these, and there's two of them right here. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Paul would say that that expressing love towards one another, it would create enduring relationships. For instance, when you love someone, it makes all the sense in the world that you would mourn with them when something tragic happens in their life, right? It bonds you to them. It lets them know that you care about them, that you're responsive, that you're present, that you're willing to go through the pain with them at the same time. It deepens the relationship. So listen, if your friend's dad passes away and they're broken, I mean, they're just shattered. It was unexpected. They didn't know what was going to happen. Their life was just shattered. And you drop everything to go and there's the funeral and you're like, you know, I'm going to let that project go work and you're there and you're present in the pain. It enriches and it deepens that relationship deeply at one of the most sacred moments in someone's life. It makes all the sense in the world. In fact, if you fail to mourn with those who mourn, it actually wounds the relationship, doesn't it? So if your friend's like, hey, my dad passed away, and you're like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. The funeral's on Tuesday. Man, I just really need you there. Oh, wow. You know, the Washington Commanders uh, have their game on Tuesday. This this is their chance at the championship. I just, they really need my support. I I don't think I can make it. Like, that would wound the relationship deeply, wouldn't it? Right? That would mess it up. That would create distance. In the same sentence, God says, rejoice with those who rejoice. The very same wound that would happen would happen when something wonderful happens to someone that I love. And if instead of rejoicing with them, I respond with jealousy or just kind of, dismissive or I don't rejoice with them, 
If I, if I have anger or bitterness about it, it wounds them deeply. So, so that's when envy comes in. When, when we had that friend in high school and we always dreamed about meeting that someone special and now I've met someone and our dream is coming true and they won't show up to the wedding, it wounds me. And when we've dreamed about having kids someday and when we do, we'll coach this softball game together, you know, and, and they didn't have kids, but I had kids and now the big game, we're at Little League, whatever it's called, championship and, and, and they're not willing to come because... Man, it wounds me. You know, and siblings, like men, we're terrible at this. If you have a brother, you know, you grow up and your brother gets on the team and you didn't, or they got the girl and you didn't, or they got the job and you didn't, or they got the house and you didn't. And now I'm bitterly envious of my brother, not because he's a jerk, not because he's doing anything that's wrong. But just because I wish his life was my life. Envy will destroy intimacy that rejoicing and that mourning creates. And and God would say, hey, something wonderful happens when, when we step in and we rejoice with those who rejoice and cheer each other on. And humanly speaking, we might mourn with someone when something bad happens to them, but when something good happens to them and we respond with anger or bitterness or think, man, they're just being arrogant, they're show, showing off, why are, they, why are they, and we don't stop to rejoice them, it creates distance. God would say, why wouldn't we rejoice? Pay attention, be careful. It, it rots the bones. It's deep down inside there. It's deep down inside there. It separates us. It gets in the way of relationships. It means that these things that are in front of us that are for our lives to follow after, these blessings that are right in front of us, we spend our whole time saying, my life just needs to be different. And God says, do you recognize that I've got blessings ordained along the way, but you've spent every moment going, my life doesn't stack up to what I think it should be, or it should be like someone else's. And you miss the blessings at every moment. God says, I have this for you. Just receive it. Don't resent it. (laughs) Rejoice in it. Rejoice for others. So as I thought about how do you you land the plane on this, I just want to ask a few questions, and then we're going to respond with worship. It's always good just to spend some time letting it linger for a little bit. But it's a couple questions maybe that you can think about, and these are also in the app if you want to take that and think about that maybe tomorrow or Tuesday. Maybe ask yourself the question, Is there anybody, anywhere, on the planet Earth (laughs) that you have a broken relationship with because of your envy? Anyone where you'd say, you know, I used to be friends with this person. What happened? What what happened? If you're honest, you know, you'd say, well, you don't understand, man. They're a jerk, and they did this, or they did that. It's like, oh, okay, all right. You win. (laughs) But if you're honest, there's pieces where you say, it didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to, but it did for them. And it's broken relationship. Is there anything like that? Is there any relationship where there's distance because of your, your envy? Let me ask you another question. Do you, do you have any friends that will rejoice with you no matter what? 
Are you that friend for someone else? That no matter, no matter what happens, you can rejoice with them, you can mourn with them. When they call you and say, I got the promotion, we got pregnant, I got a boat, <laughs> can you just rejoice with them? Even if they say, I've got ca- a cat, Yay! <laughs> can you just rejoice with them? And then this one's a little bit harder. This one's a little bit harder. It's just for you, Karen. I'm just trying to get underneath your skin. Here's, this one's a little bit harder, okay? Where can you cognitively make the decision to rejoice with someone that you might be tempted to harbor bitter envy towards? Now listen, listen. So many times we wait for it to be an emotion. It's not an emotion. It's a choice. Choice of the volition of the will. Where you say, I'm going to choose to rejoice. I'm going to take those thoughts captive, make them obedient to Christ, and rejoice along with them. And then, then maybe the toughest question. Do you trust Christ? Do you trust that his path for your life has been ordained, that he walks with you, through you, through you, alongside you in the storms, that he hasn't made a mistake, that he didn't mess up when he was handing out cards, <laughs> that he's sovereign over that? Can you trust in him and his power and his provision and his love for you? Can you, can you, can you see the wonder in how he's moving and corralling your life, changing you, using you? Or do you wish you have a different life than someone else? Like James says, be careful. Be careful. If it's there, if it's just a little bit, it's going to cause you to throw, throw elbows. It's going to cause you to do things you don't want to do. It's going to be a life of regret. Be careful. It's going to pull you into all sorts of evil practices. There's a flag on the field. Pay attention. Pay attention. It's earthly. It's going to rot your bones. Instead, we choose to trust him with my life, and I choose to rejoice with those who rejoice. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you here. God, envy's tough. Envy's tough because it's not out front in front of my face very often. But James made it in front of our faces. He calls it out inside us. And uh, sometimes these places of envy can be really um, maybe a little bit easily or excessed in our hearts. And sometimes they need a little bit more rooting around in there. God, give us that wisdom and discernment to see where that's maybe played out in the past and how that might inform our future. God, each of us can probably think of that sibling or friend and have some feelings that come up when we think about how things turned out versus how they didn't turn out. God, give us a heart of gratitude and thankfulness, not jealousy, not bitterness, not envy, not selfish ambition, but a heart of gratitude, of trust, of how you love us and care for us and have ordained and positioned us. And God, give us the clarity of heart and mind to be aware, aware and just thoughtful of those around us that are having these moments where they're rejoicing, they're mourning. How can we come alongside and share in that with them, Lord? God, you define us. We want to follow after you. You are our hope, our light, our strength, our song, our cornerstone, our solid ground. You are firm. You are our foundation. We love you, God. We praise you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? Let's worship together.